As we continue worshiping this morning, we invite you to turn in your Bible or Bible apps to the words of the first Kings, the second chapter, beginning in the 10th verse. Let us receive the word of God. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous, they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind, no one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Will you pray with me? Loving God, I pray today that you would simply help me to preach in a way that honors you, that guides and supports and cares for your beloved ones, all of us who come seeking your grace and your mercy, your guidance and your strength. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. The story that we have heard read just a few moments ago by Maggie from First Kings always conjures for me a genie in a bottle. Ask what I should give you, God says to Solomon. Sounds pretty awesome or maybe tempting. We all know stories where the punchline is be careful what you wish for. If God came to you today with this offer, what would you ask for? No doubt among all of us, there would be a variety of answers. A quick internet search to see what people would ask of a genie should they be given three wishes turned up everything from curing illnesses, feeding people, the ability to fly, <laughs> the well-being of loved ones, and of course, things like lots of money and material possessions and good looks and the perfect romance. Even a very cursory search on this topic is pretty fascinating. What would you ask for? Solomon asks for wisdom. God is pleased with this request. But why? What is wisdom? Why does it matter? Why is it pleasing to God? Should it matter to us? I want to begin this reflection on wisdom with what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not knowing piles of facts and data. In this information age, I think that's still the age we're in, who knows, um, this information age, the stream of input is bombarding us all the time, all this information. And of course, increasingly, that input is peppered with all sorts of made up stuff. Like water from a fire hose, information overwhelms us and perhaps numbs us. It's just too much. But with all of this information at our fingertips, are we any wiser as a people? Are we any closer to God or to God's design or intentions for life? We may understand how things work. We may be able to describe the pieces, the causes and the effects of measurable data. But this is not wisdom. My sense is that there are some people in the world who know a lot of things, who are brilliant with observing and manipulating data and ideas, but who do not possess what anyone would call wisdom. Also, wisdom is not something that you just get if you live long enough something that we all just automatically receive while passively meandering along the paths of life. It's not like a good wine that simply becomes better as it ages. 
Rather, it's more like the work of the vineyard that needs to be cultivated in order to grow good grapes. In other words, wisdom is not guaranteed for adults, and it's not beyond the reach of the young. As Sister Joan Chittister puts it, quote, wisdom is not a passive virtue. Wisdom is not just something we soak up if we live long enough not to be able to avoid it. We have to work at getting wisdom or we will live a very shallow life, she says. Chittister also says that wisdom is available for everyone who pays attention to their lives and to God. This paying attention seems at the heart of how we might work at getting wisdom. The story is told that soon after the death of the greatest rabbi in the region, a traveler said to one of his disciples, your rabbi was renowned for his wisdom. To what did he give the greatest attention in his life? And the disciple thought for just a moment and then responded to whatever he happened to be doing at the time. So wisdom is not information and data, and it's not something we can expect to mature without any effort or paying attention on our part. But what is it? The concept of wisdom is translated a number of different ways in different versions and translations of the Bible. Wisdom is translated an understanding mind, a discerning mind, an understanding heart, a heart with skill to listen, a hearing heart, a God listening heart. Translators seem to labor to find a way to capture a union of head, the mind, heart, our soul and spirit and emotional world, and our will, discerning, understanding, perceiving, listening. So at least one aspect of wisdom seems to be an integrated person, being an integrated person, head, heart, and will, who, as a result of that integration, that wholeness, can be fully present in each moment. Maybe that's why some children seem so very wise. They tend to live in the moment, many children, to see and look around at the world with awe and wonder. Most kids, most kids haven't yet been disintegrated. This aspect of wisdom of integration is cultivated through doing our own personal work. It requires doing whatever it takes to know enough about yourself through loving, careful observation, to be conscious of yourself, to perceive and to understand what you're feeling and what you're thinking, what's coming up in you and why, so that 
you can observe the present moment, what's happening outside of yourself, with greater clarity. And then, of course, you can respond based on your observation. And that sounds like a whole lot of work in any given moment. And it is. It takes practice. And we need help to do this work, help that you can receive from working with a therapist or working with a spiritual director or uh, working in uh, community and communion with members of a trusted small group at church or elsewhere, perhaps uh, just truth-telling friends with whom you can explore what's going on in you. We need help for this. But this work of integration, of becoming whole and conscious of ourselves in any given moment, what's coming up for us allows us to be present more fully to what is outside of ourselves. And it's this kind of wisdom that's required for us to not get what we call these days triggered (laughs) or hooked by things outside ourselves or happening around us, things that can take us out of our center, out of our own mind, out of our hearts, things that can carry us off into irrational and reptilian and damaging behaviors or feelings or thoughts. And to be frank, this is increasingly difficult (laughs) and important. We're currently in a crisis of civilization in which every single thing seems more fragile than ever. Our planet Earth, any semblance of peace near or far, right relationships of care, justice, trust, solidarity, everything is teetering on the edge of or already well down the slippery slope. In the midst of the complicated mess that we humans have made through foolishness and short-sightedness and greed and fear, a mess that has and will continue to have painful consequences for all life, even in the midst of all of that, our faith teaches and I believe that God is yet at work. All day long. But can we perceive it? So many of the great spiritual traditions of the world agree that the practice of a healthy self awareness, let me be clear, not talking about neurotic self obsession, healthy self awareness and self consciousness, and attention to the present moment. Spiritual traditions across and over the ages have stressed that these things are at the heart of growing in peace and in love and in wisdom. The integrated conscious person is able to look at self, others, and the world with love and compassion, with patience and with a capacity to perceive God's presence and power and grace. Even in the midst of conflict or danger or discomfort or pain, 
or in the midst of the complete mess we've made of things. And I'm not saying that this is perceiving God in a way that God is going to somehow magically fix the mess or tidy everything up. This doesn't mean that a wise person isn't going to feel fear or pain. It means that the wise person can modulate their response in any given moment towards self and other in order to not do more harm. Sister Chittister says this, quote, wisdom is life peeled and cored. It is attention and consciousness lived to the hilt. Wisdom calls us, the scripture says, to know ourselves, to squeeze out of every moment of life whatever lesson it holds for us, whatever responses it demands of us at that time. This is kind of what we talk about when we say called for such a time as this. What is wisdom calling to us to be, to do? This is what we're being asked to do all the time, to be conscious, aware, alive, awake, paying attention. But in moments of struggle and confusion, like right now, a focus on this kind of consciousness is particularly important in order to keep any kind of solid ground under our feet or to hold on to any semblance of a healthy perspective. Because it's so easy in moments like this one to be pulled, as I said before, out of our mind, out of our heart. Pulled and hooked and triggered into things that are not loving or wise. Wisdom understood as Chittister describes it, pulls us out of the shallows and into deeper places where simple categories don't always work and decisions aren't necessarily checking this box or that one. Wisdom allows us to perceive the complicated, intricate, confusing, beautiful intersections of the people and world all around us and to learn what they have to teach us and where we fit in the intersections. So to be wise is to be integrated and conscious of self, of others, of what's happening in the present moment. But there's another piece to wisdom, discernment and action. The wise person doesn't simply do no harm, but also seeks to do good. Solomon asked for a shomea lev, an understanding or listening heart, so that he might discern between good and evil and provide wise leadership for the people in his care. If only all of our leaders prayed that prayer. Lord knows it's what we need more of 
at every level. Excuse me. <laughs> this is what I get living in a home with big dogs and a cat. Occasionally <laughs> I get a hair in my eye. A wise leader in the midst of all the things going on will be self-aware, will digest all of the relevant, relevant facts and data, will listen to a variety of perspectives, will weigh the potential outcomes for the common good, and will make the best decision she can. None of us, of course, are inheriting a throne at a young age like Solomon, but every one of us is confronted on a regular basis with tasks, decisions, and responsibilities that will impact others' lives and our own. I found it interesting that the Hebrew words for good and evil are not defined in any way like philosophical concepts, but rather point to very concrete outcomes of welfare or harm. What is good is that which benefits another. And evil is that which causes injury or calamity. Wisdom, you see, is not value neutral. Wisdom in our spiritual tradition is ordered to what is good. Wisdom seeks to discern and to act with the intention of doing less harm and serving the common good. Solomon starts off with a beautiful humility and a beautiful request of God. And the way the story is told is that God responds with extraordinary generosity and fringe benefits. If God came to you today in the midst of all that you're experiencing in your life, in the midst of all that we are experiencing in the world, and said to you, ask what I should give you. What would you ask for? Perhaps we can learn from Solomon and ask for wisdom. Not because we think we'll get fringe benefits or because things will immediately get easy, but because wisdom is what we need to know what else we need. It's what we need in order to know what else we need. Wisdom is what we need to navigate this fraught, roiling, dangerous stretch of history without losing heart, mind, and soul. Wisdom is what we need to stay connected with God. Without true wisdom, our desires can carry us off into all sorts of confusion and worry and heartache. Without wisdom, we'll struggle to discern between good and evil or to choose in ways that benefit our others and ourselves or the common good. Without wisdom, we cannot see what is right in front of us clearly. We can't discern what is most real and true. We don't know ourselves without wisdom and therefore can't truly share ourselves fully with others. And we miss the beauty and wonder of God's presence and grace that is always dancing in and through every present moment. Wisdom 
and the grace to actively cultivate wisdom in our lives. May this be our humble prayer. May this be our humble desire for God's sake and for the sake of all. Amen.